You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, welcome to Church Online, and I want to share with those of you that are watching online, we do have a studio audience today made up of some of our key church volunteers. They agreed to come in and be the guinea pigs to help us in our systems to prepare for January the 3rd, when all of you are going to be invited back to the Cameo Theater on January the 3rd. We're going to be dancing like that guy, Dogface208, online. We're going to be so excited to be dancing back into the Cameo when that day comes. Now, for those of you that are falling into vulnerable categories or you just don't feel comfortable to come back to a public gathering in January, by all means, stay at home. We'll continue to stream our services online at all four of our service times that you can participate in. So today, even though that we're, we're going to be talking about suicide, um, we're not going to be talking so much just about death, because the way you defeat death is speaking life, right? The Bible is full of life, and we love this text, and all of our teachers at City Tribe, Robbie and uh, Lee and I have all taught on this text. It's a classic text, John 10.10. It's one of my favorite verses where Jesus says, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. But look at the next part. He says, I have come so that they may have life, life in its fullest measure. That's the complete Jewish translation of the Bible. And what I like about it is it talks about life in its fullest measure. Now, I brought from our kitchen today a little tablespoon measurement. You have these in your little kitchen drawer, you know, where you measure things out for recipes and stuff like this. Jesus didn't come to give you a tablespoon of life. Jesus wanted to give you the whole bucket full, right? That's what Jesus, so you might just want to post in the comments, I want the bucket, see? Jesus came not just for the little one, but he came for the whole enchilada, right? Um, We could say that the bucket represents like the whole ocean full of God's love and God's life, see? And so each week during this series, we've asked you to consider doing one thing. Because we realize that there are multiple applications in a given sermon, or there are a lot of images or messages that you're being bombarded with all week long, and we're saying, just pick one thing to do. And here's the one thing that we would suggest to you today, and it's simply this. Make the call. Make the call. Now, the call that you're going to make is determined by your circumstance in life. And for most of you... The call that you're to make is to call someone who is hurting, who's perhaps thinking about harming themselves. Look, you can make the call and pour buckets of life into people's life, according to John 10.10. And so call someone and check in with them about their emotional gauges, about their relationships. Ask them about their worship habits and their physical body or Uh, how their finances are going during this time or remind them to take in some of nature's medicine. And here's why it's so important and significant for you and I to make those calls. According to a CDC director, 
the suicide rates are skyrocketing. In fact, Robert Redfield said, there has been another cost that we've seen, talking about the pandemic, particularly in high schools. We're seeing, sadly, far greater suicides now than we are deaths from COVID. You think what we're doing at City Youth and what Pastor Robbie is leading our volunteers in is not significant? Because in the suicides, more, uh, in, the, in the high schools, more kids are committing suicide than they are getting COVID. And that's why it's important for you and I to be attuned to the Spirit and to say, Holy Spirit, bring to mind someone I need to call today. Perhaps you've just observed someone. It's not some spiritual experience, but you just see that someone's sad all the time. You see the signs, and you've got to make that call. Your willingness to make the call could literally save someone's life. Now, if you want a little bit more training on how to recognize and deal with someone who is suicidal, I suggest Kay Warren's website. Kay Warren is an activist. She's also the wife of pastor and author Rick Warren. The Warrens lost their adult son to suicide a few years ago, and since that time, they've set out to equip people and help people learn to help others and save lives. You can go to kaywarren.com suicide, and there you'll see the warning signs she gives, like when someone feels like a burden or when they're having these mood swings or when they're getting too little or too much sleep. She also talks about how to help, that you ask, you keep them safe, you be there for them, you help them get connected, like Pastor Joe's going to be doing, helping people get connected. Uh, You follow up with people. So most of us need to make that call, be thinking about, praying about God, Who do I need to call? Who do I need to text? But there are others that I believe God that has brought to this streaming service today. Perhaps you've never been to church. Maybe you've been to church a million times. But God wants to save your life today. And the call you need to make is the call to a friend or loved one who cares about you. You need to call them and let them know the thoughts that are swirling through your head. Perhaps you need to call the church today. Perhaps you need to call the suicide hotline if you need help right now today. That number is 1-800-273-TALK. Or if you'd rather text message, you can text the word TALK to 741-741. Whatever you do, make the call today. And we want to encourage you to choose and embrace life. Jesus has life for you. And I'm going to show you several reasons why you should, we can choose life. And the first one is its effect on the body, the effect on the body. Now, when I talk about the effect on the body, I'm not just talking about your physical body that would die if you were to take your own life. I'm talking about something else. I'll get to it here in a minute, but whether you're religious or irreligious, all of us can make the call for help. In fact, I was inspired by a Jewish atheist philosopher, and she wrote a book entitled Stay. Her name is Jennifer Michael Hatch, and she traces the dominant views of suicide throughout history. She goes back many, many years and traces the church's viewpoint on suicide, that it is a breach of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And then she also traces, she goes all the way back to the Enlightenment where uh, I guess secular progressives viewed suicide as a personal choice. And both of those two philosophies about suicide 
are alive and well today as there are still churches that would condemn suicide as an unpardonable sin and secular progressives are leading the way in the assisted suicide and right to die movements. But what Hetch points out in her book is a third way to think about suicide. And I believe her third way, even though she's not a Jesus person, I believe what she's saying is thoroughly biblical. And here's what she said. Rejecting suicide is a huge act within a community. She writes, if suicide has a pernicious influence on others, then staying alive has the opposite influence. It helps keep people alive. By staying alive, we are contributing something precious to the world. She says, your staying alive means so much more than you really know. Um, and, and suicide has this terrible copycat effect. So that's particularly true in colleges, in the military, and within families. When a person sees another person within the group commit suicide, they think about it more. It's the copycat effect. And that's why this author says, she talks about the suicidal influence, and she says it's so powerful that a suicide might also be considered a homicide. Did you catch the, that last phrase? A suicide might also be considered a homicide because of the copycat effect. And what I believe that this author is picking up on is a concept of the body that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 21. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And here's how that relates to suicide, is that if you're a hand, you're a part of the body, and you cut yourself off, and it affects the whole rest of the body. And so what I want to say to you today is please consider choosing life. Do not cut yourself off and affect all the other people around you. You're a part of a greater body. And this body here says there are bucket loads of life for you. So if you're taking notes, number one was the effect on the body. Number two would be choose life in order to defeat your spiritual enemy. Now, God loves us so much. He's so gracious to us that he warns us about our very real spiritual enemy. Now, the text that we're teaching on today, John 10.10, 10, I don't want to gloss over the first half of the verse, so look at it with me. It says, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe that many, many suicides have a spiritual warfare component to them. And I'm going to share with you a spiritual warfare like demonic manifestation story. But before I tell you the story, those of you that are new to church or new to this stream or new to thinking about, you know, spiritual things in a Jesus context, in a Bible context, the story I'm about to tell you is going to be kind of weird. I mean, it's just weird stuff. And I'm telling you, I was there. It was weird. And so I know I acknowledge that. I'm just going to tell you what happened and you can do with it what you will. But one night, uh, I was, along with some other church volunteers, a couple of other church volunteers, ministering to a young woman who was having some problems. And she started literally manifesting 
some other life forms, right? That one would growl like a cat, another one would speak in a male European accent voice, and it was a strange experience. And what was weird about the experience is that those things that were manifesting seemed to know our weaknesses. So one of the ladies who was ministering with me, she was somewhat self-conscious about her looks. And when a demon would manifest, it would say to her, you're ugly. And you could see in her face the effect that those words had on her. Well, while we were doing this ministry, my wife happened to be out of town. And I worry about my wife when she's out of town. And one of the demons surfaces and says, I'm going to kill your wife and I'm going to kill you. And I don't know why, but some anger rose up within me. And I don't think it was a bad kind of anger. I think it was the good kind of anger because I said back to the demon, I'm going to cast you out and you're going to go to hell is what's going to happen. And that is indeed what happened. The power of God uh, came over us and we were able to help this young woman get free of these things. And the reason I tell you that is that some of you who are experiencing anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts, recognize it for what it is. Get angry at the demonic forces that are trying to destroy, trying to steal from you, trying to harm you and hurt you. They're keeping you from bucketfuls of life that come in Jesus' name and rise up and wake up to the reality of the spiritual war that's going all around us. We can see the divisions in our country. And look, our enemies are not Biden or Trump or whoever else you want to get mad at right now. Our enemy is a spiritual one that is behind even the worst politicians using them as puppets for their evil plans to steal from us and harm us. And so get angry about it and begin to fight. I don't mean fight physically, but I mean, I mean fight spiritually, utilizing the tools of prayer and the word of God and the community. And so look, we have these spiritual desires that are very natural to give of our lives. And what they do is twist it to make people want to take their lives. Let me show you the good spiritual desire that Jesus tells about in Matthew 16, 24. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you're trying to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And when you grow spiritually, you become what Paul calls a living sacrifice. See, he talks about that in Romans 12, uh, verse 1. Let me read it to you. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he finds acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. We are to worship God by laying down our lives, being these not dead, but living sacrifices for God. And here's what I understand is a lot of people feel like there's no hope for my life. And a lot of people have this, these thoughts swirling around in their mind. And I want to correct some of and expose many of the lies that are going through many of your heads. 
Some people think to themselves, and by the way, before I go down the list of them, the enemy will come oftentimes speaking into your head, shooting thoughts into your head in the first person. And the reason they do it in the first person is they're trying to convince you that it's not their thoughts, but it's your thoughts. You see how deceptive they are? They want you to think that you're the one thinking about harming yourself. And they'll say to some people, well, you should go ahead and just take your own life because you'll get attention that way. And that's particularly true of teenagers because teenagers see one of their peers that's taken their life and they see all the attention the person gets at the memorial service or at the funeral and they believe that lie. But what the enemy does not tell you is that you won't be there to enjoy the attention at your funeral. Then they'll speak another lie into your mind, say, well, you know, I'm gonna die anyway, so I may as well control how that's gonna go down. But what they don't explain to you is that you will experience loss of rewards in the afterlife. They'll say things like, well, you know, I want to get back at my parents or I want to get back at that girlfriend that broke up with me or I want to get back at that boyfriend who broke up with me. So I'll just take my own life. But what they don't tell you is you won't be there to enjoy the retribution you're getting. See? Then they'll say these other things like, well, you know, uh, I... uh, I just don't want to be a burden to people anymore because I'm such a burden on people. What they don't tell you is you will be more of a burden on people if you take your own life. You will be a burden on them for the rest of their lives because they'll have a hard time getting rid of the wound of the loss. And then the enemy will speak this lie into your mind. Well, it'll end my suffering. But what they don't tell you is that if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you'll be in more suffering. You will wish you could come back to this reality and experience what you're calling suffering now. And if you're a believer, they don't tell you all the rewards that you will lose. Let me show you this loss of rewards in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 13, where Paul says, but on the judgment day, Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder, look at this, will suffer great loss. The builder, look at this, the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And look, there are people that'll barely get in by the skin of their teeth, right? but they'll experience so much loss, right? It's like, why did I give up such a great reward for just a a short-term relief kind of decision? And I believe that this deception that many people are experiencing today was played out in the stories of Judas Iscariot and Peter, I've been fascinated by the parallels in their stories because both of these men in the New Testament of the Bible were disciples of Jesus. They both saw Jesus heal people. They both saw Jesus do all sorts of miracles. They walked with Jesus. They heard his teachings firsthand. And John records something that I thought was kind of interesting. At the Last Supper that Jesus would have with his disciples altogether, John records in John 13, 27, When Judas had eaten the bread, look at what it says, Satan entered into him. How did Satan get to enter into Judas? 
It could be because Judas opened a doorway in his life by stealing from Jesus and the apostles, stealing money. I don't know that for sure, but whatever reason, Satan was able to enter into Judas, and this caused Judas to betray Jesus over to the corrupt authorities of the day. And then it lands on Judas what he had done. Look at the next text. It's Matthew 27, 3 through 5. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was, look at this, he was filled with remorse. He felt bad about what he had done. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I've sinned, he declared, for I betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted, that's your problem. And look at this. Then Jesus threw the silver coins down in the temple and he went out and the Bible says he hanged himself. He took his own life. You know, Jesus would have forgiven him, right? Jesus would have restored Judas, but Judas refused to humble himself and make the call. He took his own life. And the question for a lot of people throughout the ages has been, you know, Judas, he was one of Jesus' disciples. Did he make it to heaven? I mean, did he go to heaven? That's just a practical question, right? And it's related to our topic today, isn't it? Well, I want to show you why some people believe he did not make it to heaven. And they would go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 24, uh, and we'll put that verse up for you. It says, for the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declare long ago, how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. And look at this last uh, part of the verse. It says, it would, it, it would be far better for that man if he had never been born. And that's the focus I want to key in on. So if you, uh, if you see that verse, you, you understand why people would believe that Judas did not make it to heaven because it says there would be far better for that man if he had never been born, right? But let me give you some cultural context on that phrase. It'd be far better for him if he'd never been born. See, it wasn't a phrase talking about the afterlife. It was talking about current reality. So it's like today, if one of us says, hey, it sucks to be you. Sucks to be you talks about your current life condition, right? And that is what I believe this passage is talking about related to Judas. So I don't know whether or not Judas went to heaven or hell. I don't get to know. You don't get to know. We can speculate. We can think on it, but God doesn't tell us. But what I do know from the Bible is that it's clear how one gets, attains, and keeps eternal life with God in heaven. The clearest verse in the Bible is probably one of the most popular verses in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin and that's how you acquire eternal life and that's how you keep it. It's not about what you do. It's what's been done on your behalf. Look, it doesn't matter if you've lied. It doesn't matter if you, you know, if you've believed and you've lied or 
committed adultery, you, you still have a relationship with God. He doesn't bail out on you. So it doesn't matter whether you've lied, committed adultery, you know, text while you drive or not wear your Rona mask into the grocery store. I mean, uh, your salvation is not dependent upon what you do or don't do. It's only dependent upon whether or not you've believed in him. That's what's clear from the Bible. And I hope that's encouraging for those of you who have had a believing family member who's taken their own life. Now, uh, if you want to read more about this subject, uh, we'll post in the comments a blog that was written by a pastor who had one of his fellow pastors on his staff take his own life, and he deals in more detail with the theology of this. But before you read that, before we go on, I want to take a time out just for a minute. And here's why. Because we're aware there's a spiritual battle going on, right? And the enemy will take what I just said and twist it in someone's mind. And here's how that will go. The enemy will say, well, you heard Pastor Doug just say all you had to do is believe. And then you get your ticket into heaven. You can kill yourself or do whatever you want to do. And I did not say that. You do not have the right to cut yourself off from the rest of the body and pass your pain on to a group of other people. We need you to stay. And the enemy's the one that wants you to twist the good grace of God of the gospel. And he wants to use it to take something from you and take your life. So we've seen Judas, but what about Peter? Some of you who have read the story know that Peter was the guy who said to Jesus, he was so bold, and he's like, I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'll never deny you. And if you read the story, you know, Jesus says, well, you know, Peter, before the rooster goes three times, you're going to deny that you even know me. And Peter did deny Jesus twice, and we see the third denial recorded in Matthew 26. Look at verse 74. Just, he's, he's at a fire. He's talking to these people who are accusing him of being associated with Jesus. And Peter says, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. I don't know Jesus. And immediately the rooster crowed. And look at the next part of the verse. It's landing on him what he's done. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows. You will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away, look at those last two words, weeping bitterly. It hits Peter like a ton of bricks, the weight of denying the Son of God, the weight of betraying the only innocent man who's ever walked the earth. He weeps bitterly. So, just like Judas, Peter betrays denies the Lord Jesus. So what is the difference between these two men? I believe the difference between Judas and Peter is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, which says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings what? Death. Repentance is the difference between these two men, and the message that I'm bringing some of you today seems a little bit counterintuitive because some of you who are hurting right now and you're thinking about taking your own life and harming yourself, I'm saying to you, repent, repent. Some of you are thinking, hey, I just need to be comforted right now, but I'm asking you to be convicted right now, and here's why, because I know that the truth and conviction, if it leads you to repentance, 
it'll give you buckets full of life. See? Now, what, what does repentance mean? It's not a religious term that's used to shake your finger at someone. But repentance simply means to change your mind. So I'm asking you to repent and change your mind about life. Change your mind about death. Change your mind about pouring out your life as a living sacrifice to God in service to God and service to other people that God loves and cares about. Godly sorrow brings repentance. And will Peter be willing and humble enough to make the call? Yes, he will. That's what saves him is that he changed his mind about what he was thinking and he made the call to Jesus. He didn't make a literal call because they didn't have telephones at that time. But the way he made the call was he jumped out of the fishing boat and he swam to the shore to meet the risen Lord who was waiting for him with open arms and breakfast tacos. That's a good welcome, is it not? And so after they had breakfast tacos together, Jesus restored, he forgave and he restored Peter And he said, Peter, I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to care for my sheep. And Peter did just that as he laid down his life as a living sacrifice. And history tells us that the way Peter ended his life was not as a coward who betrayed the Lord, but as one who had the courage to be crucified because of preaching the word of God. And Peter, according to history, was crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord had died. This is a person who repented and changed his thinking about life and death and being a living sacrifice. And look, here's why Peter's story is so significant for me personally and for a fair number of people who are a part of this service today is that some years ago, I thought about it. I had those thoughts. And I'll tell you why I had those thoughts. I thought about taking my life because I had disappointed God. I had disappointed my family. I had disappointed my friends that I loved. And I was having a hard time living with it. And the thoughts came with such regularity, I knew I needed to make the call. And I made the call for help to a friend of mine. His name's Brent, Pastor Brent Sadoff. And I gave Brent my firearms, my guns, because in a weak moment, when the thoughts were swirling, I didn't want to make a bad decision, a foolish decision for temporary relief that was really permanent. See, and I thank Jesus that I made that call because I'm alive today and I'm enjoying buckets full of life with my wife that I love. I'm enjoying uh, buckets full of life with our church staff that I love ministering alongside. And I'm experiencing life ministering to you, the people I love here at City Tribe Church, because I made the call. Thank you, Jesus, that I made the call. And because of that, I want to beg some of you Please make the call. Please make the call. Hope is not lost. And one of the things you'll find is that there's a very important call that you make that's even beyond just the telephone call, and that is calling on the Lord. Look at Psalm 50:15. God says, call on me in the day of trouble. And God says, I'll deliver you, and you will honor me. 
And look at what Jeremiah said in Lamentations. This is uh, Lamentations 3, 55. Jeremiah said, I called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. Is anybody in the lowest pit right now? And you can also go to Acts 2, 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can call on him, and it is money in the bank. He will save you, see? And so for those of you without hope, our tribe is going to rise up now and give you some hope. And so tribe, what I want to ask you to do right now, if you're a part of City Tribe Church, I want you to give some hope in the comments uh, on the stream you're watching right now. Just say things like, there is hope. Just say things like, we love you. Say things in the comments like, we're here for you. Call on the Lord and call on us. We're here for you. We're injecting hope into you. And I want to do three ministry prayers with you, see? One of them is what we call the CPR prayer. You know, in CPR, when someone doesn't have any breath, you, you let them borrow your breath to breathe into them. Well, that's what we can do with hope. If you're without hope, allow us to breathe our hope into you through these comments and through prayer and the scriptures. You know, can I show you something real quick? That if you don't have hope and you're calling on the name of the Lord in your heart right now and in your mind, what you'll find is God's actually calling you. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, I pray, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the what? Hope to which he has called you. See, he's calling you. He arranged the circumstances of your life that you would be a part of this streaming service today. So just bow with me in prayer just for a minute and receive some CPR hope and just pray something like this in your heart before God. Just say, God, I receive the hope that these people have for me. And God, most of all, I receive your hope because I want to experience the fullest measure of life. I want to experience the bucketfuls of life, Jesus. So please, save my life today and I'll pour it out for you. In this second prayer, I want to pray with those who are mourning the loss of someone who's taken their life. Maybe it's a friend or a family member. And maybe you're in your heart, you're just saying right now, Lord, at the moment, nothing seems to be able to help the loss that I feel right now. My heart is broken. My spirit is mourning. But all I know, God, is that my hope is in you. And this day, this hour, this moment, I choose to hope in you, God. I pour out my grief to you and I praise you, Jesus, that someday all the suffering and pain that I feel right now will end. And God, I choose to forgive my friend or loved one who left us. I forgive them. And I'm sorry I wasn't able to stop them. God, you know I would have stopped them if I could have. And God, I'm thankful for the time that I had with them. Thank you. And this third and last prayer is the most important prayer. If you've never begun a relationship with God through Jesus, I want you to pray to him and talk to him if you would like to believe in him today. And the words that you'll be praying are not some kind of magic spell or words, but if you mean these things in your heart, 
and call upon him today, then you can have lovely relationship with God for eternity. Just say something like this. Look, God, I know I've sinned. But right now in these moments, the best I understand it, I'm choosing to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Welcome into my life. Father, we thank you for all the good things you're doing in many hearts of people who are experiencing this stream today. And we pray that you would grow this crop 30, 60, and 100 fold in our lives. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Everyone said, Amen. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.